Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. Today's message is titled, The Army of the Lord, and it is the fourth part of the United Sermon Series. This message is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check us out at our website at bccma.org or send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Okay, uh, let's get into Word today. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about moving metaphors today. You know what metaphor is? It's like uh, an object of how you see life. It's, it's how you tell the story of your life. You may say that life is a school. So for you, life is a school. You're always learning, so it's a school. Maybe life is a journey. We always hear that. Life is a journey. Not a destination, it's a journey. Maybe, so maybe it's that for you. It's a trip. Maybe for you, life is uh, a, a voyage. And it's an, you're on an ocean liner with... Uh, Fellow travelers, and you're, maybe that's the metaphor that you have for life. And metaphors are very useful, and they actually shape how we respond to things. They shape how we, how we, how we see things, whatever metaphor that we're living. So I, I want to I show you a metaphor that God has for you that you probably aren't using. <laughs> and... Uh, I, however, having said that, I, I want to say this before I get into this, that I know many of you epitomize this metaphor in so many ways. I watch it all over this place. That many of you do epitomize this, uh, this other metaphor that I'm going to talk about in a moment. And um, some of you uh, epitomize it more than others. And some of you probably struggle with it. You struggle be- being the person who lives in this metaphor and you need, today is going to be helpful, hopefully helpful to you, that you can see the utility. And, and, and not abandoning the old metaphors for how you live your life, but adding, adding this uh, way of doing life and doing life together. This series is called United, so it's about doing life together. And, and I'm going to talk about two very important metaphors for doing life together. One that we live in very naturally, and, and the church, the modern-day evangelical church, has adopted that first metaphor that I'm going to talk about in a moment, and we've adopted it wholeheartedly, and thank God we have. It's a good metaphor. We need to keep living in it. But then there's this other one that's in our text that we're about to read that we, are not, we have not so readily adopted to, and they're for good reasons. It's a much more difficult metaphor to live in. It's a much more difficult metaphor to live in. So we haven't adopted it as clearly because it's much more difficult. It's much more challenging. But we need it to face what's ahead of us for us and to be as effective as we need to be. And ultimately, hopefully I can show you by the end of the message that that first metaphor that we all, most of us really like, that first metaphor gets better when you live this other one too. It actually, in fact, that other one falls apart through dysfunction, most of the time, if you don't have this second metaphor that undergirds it with a strong foundation. Let's read. We're going back to Ezekiel 37, where we, we were last week, when Ezekiel went among the bones, and uh, God sent him to a valley of very dry bones. And we know, as we said last week, that was an extremely important passage. It was, it's a prophetic passage that can only be in its ultimate fulfillment about the Holocaust 
and the gathering of Israel back to the land of promise. It can only be about that because it's, if you look at the pictures of the Holocaust, you see the stacks of bones. And then for the first time in history, the only time in history, the only time it was even possible, Jewish people came from the four corners of the world. And that's what he said would happen in this text. They came from the four corners of the world. That couldn't have happened in, in ancient times because they were not at the four corners of the world. That could only happen in modern times. So the Bible is a, a wonderful, credible book. And, and this should excite you because if God could do that, then whatever problem you're facing today, he can handle that one too. But not in the time that you would imagine always and sometimes with much more difficulty than we can really understand. And I'm not going to try to explain it because I don't understand it. So I prophesied as I was commanded and I was, as I was prophesying there was a noise, a rattling sound and the bones came together, bone to bone, and I looked. And tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the, to the, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as they commanded and breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet. Now here it is, a vast army. Now let me just jump over to the New Testament and just in case one might object and say, well, that's Old Testament. This is New Testament. Finally be strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6.10, and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take on Take your stand against the devil's schemes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, and against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, my first point is, oops, did we forget to tell you we're not just the family of God? He said, I breathed into them, and they became a wonderful, loving family. No. I breathed to them and they became a vast army. I want you to consider living, moving to the metaphor as an individual, as a member of your community, and as a member of this church. That we begin to be able to grasp ourselves not only as a wonderful church family, but a powerful army of God. The word Lord of hosts occurs eight, uh, 287 times in scripture. Or the word host means army, the Lord of armies. Now, before we move on though, to talk about the army, uh, families are pretty cool. For many of you coming to this church, and, and maybe to some other church, but coming to the, the church Big C has been a lifesaver to you because uh, biological families can be pretty crazy. Amen. Right? Amen? Amen? So sometimes you find in, in the church family uh, the family that you didn't have. I see that all the time. Many are rescued by the love of the spiritual family. Pat, the, you have a pastor who serves as a paternal figure in the spiritual family. You know, the all-wise, all-caring, always there when you're, when you're in need. 
for counseling, show up at the hospital and preach your funeral for you and marry your, marry your, your children or marry you or dedicate your children. There's, we offer wisdom to the already shame to receive. That's what this beautiful family thing is. Father Phil, in fact, Penny, always, Penny, the Thai lady I've told you about earlier, she always calls me Father. Even in her, when she texted me this morning, Father, Tom has passed away. And I'm, I'm really not comfortable with that, but that's, what, that's how she views it. So, I'm, I'm, you know, when you're a pastor, you are this paternal figure. And you're, you're, expected, you're expected to be firm, but not too firm. You're expected to be clear and give direction, but you're also supposed to be very tolerant when the direction is not followed, which is 80% of the time. <laughs> There's tolerance. You know, we're tolerant of the much-loved children. That's the way a pastor's supposed to be. Sometimes inconsistent children. Sometimes inconsiderate. Sometimes bratty children. The, 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 the father, the paternal figures in the church... Paternal and maternal figures. There are plenty of maternal figures here too. We're supposed to be tolerant of the dysfunction of the children. You know, um, you know, I, I have, I have, a, I have fantastic children, but they're, but they're real people. You know, uh, Elise has this habit of leaving disposable cups in the sink. And I, I always take a picture of it with my phone. And I, I, she's not here today, so I can show this. I send her the picture with the word why. Why? It's a disposable cup. Why is it in the sink? Christy used to have a problem with shoes. Any of you have any trauma with shoes with your children? She had a, some sort of tactile uh, uh, sensitivity to things on her feet. So she could never find the right shoes that felt right. So, in fact, uh, who, sent me that, who sent that video on Facebook about trying to get out of the house when you're single or, or when you're married with no children and you have children? It's totally different trying to leave the house. You're going to find out, Pat. Well, you've, you've lived it before, but you're going to learn it again. It's totally different getting out of the house when you have children. And so that's what was with, with, with Christy. We, we would need to go, of course. You need to be somewhere. And, and, and she couldn't find any shoes to wear. I remember one, night, one day getting so frustrated that I went around the house and the closets and I gathered every pair of shoes I could find. I must have, it must have been 50 pair of shoes because we kept buying shoes that would, would, would not bother the sensitivities of her, of her feet. And, and I piled them in a pile. I said, here, find a pair of shoes. But I didn't. You know, I didn't disown her or kick her out of the house. I, I didn't do a hundred push-ups. Because we're a family. Families are messy. You don't always get your way. Just because you're the father or the head authority or the mother, you, everybody just doesn't do what you say. That's a family. 
A family is a place we carry our burdens, and a church family, we bring our burdens to be understood, to be listened to, to be cared for, to be renewed, to be reaffirmed. It's a matrix, this church family, through which we go through the, 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 the rites of passage, uh, the, the, the birth of our children, and the dedication of our babies, and the, the, the uh, uh, graduation of our children from elementary uh, uh, children's church to, to, to youth group. Uh, the, the graduation from high school, uh, their, their marriage, uh, the crises that you go through, your divorces. And I've, I've, I've walked through divorce with, with, with several of you here in this room. And the painful of divorce, the painfulness of abandonment, the, the, the bankruptcy, you, the painfulness of financial bankruptcy, and the loss of your home, and the loss of jobs. And then finally there's the funeral. And I've preached hundreds of funerals. And... Uh, it's uh, so wonderful. It's so wonderful to have someone who lived their life in the church family and then to be able to celebrate their passing at the end of their life and have a church family come together. And there's so much meaning in that. And, and, and those who don't know Christ and those who are outside of faith come and they're able to watch and they're able to see what it's like to go home as a Christian. What a beautiful thing when we share all those things as a family and we, we celebrate all the... And perhaps more than anything, the church families where you celebrate your spiritual experiences like salvation and water baptism and, and, and even the baptism in the Holy Spirit for many of you and rededications and repentance and major deliverances. Some of you were addicted to all sorts of things and, and, uh, and, and, and there, are people, there are people who attend this church that I've, I've, I've act, literally... Literally found them drunk on the side of the road and carried them home, and now they're now they're being productive, and they're not doing that anymore. And that's just a fantastic thing about a church family. And so you receive many of you have recovered from abuse, and uh, and and you've received calls to ministries of all sorts of ministries. Those things happen in a church family. I love that God chose to call us on the call us a family, don't you? The Bible, Ephesians, Ephesians talks about the family of God in whom all, and all families in heaven and earth are named. I love that God, called to chose, God chose to call us the family of God. But when God breathed on the bones in Ezekiel 37, he called them an army. By the way, families are not supposed to look like a military unit. Too much order in the family makes people unhealthy. But there's a place in our lives where God is calling us to order, where God is calling us to obedience, where God is calling us to be under command. Families are supposed to be a bit disorderly, a bit spontaneous, a bit unpredictable. I think you get my point, right? You get my point. Families are supposed to be like that. If your family, if you're running your family like a military institution, installation, please stop. Don't do that to your children. Be flex a little bit. But God breathed on the bones and they became a vast army, vast army. Sometime God needs us to act like an army and not a family. Families have limitations and dysfunction. Families tend to fight among themselves. Right? You're getting really quiet. Like, oh, what's he talking about? Our family never fights. 
Me and my adult children never have conflict. Families tend to fight one another. Armies fight the adversary. Armies expect discomfort, hardship, and distress. Families expect comfort and contentment. Oh, you're going to have a problem today if somebody's not comfortable in your home. <laughs> a, little, a little Johnny, or it may be a little Susie, it may be dad, it may be mom, somebody's not comfortable. You're going to have to try to make them comfortable because that's what home is supposed to be. It's supposed to be comfortable. Military installation, military forays, you read about them, they don't expect to be comfortable, they expect to be miserable. Because they are on a mission. Armies give and follow orders. Families complain and demand. In fact, in fact I'm going to show you a little video because my, my youngest grandchild is already learning. She's already learning the need to take control. And so I'm going to show you a quick video of Ellie McCutcheon. Are we ready with that video? Ellie, what's the matter? Do you want to feed yourself? Ellie, do you want to feed yourself? <laughs> you like the chicken? Is that one your favorite? Oh, you, you... Gag. <laughs> it was she screaming. You would have thought she's in some horrible pain. What is she? Something terrible is going. They should take her to the doctor. You know. They should... She just wanted to hold the spoon. She wanted to control that activity called eating, which is a good thing, by the way. That they're going to they're gonna love that someday soon. That's what family's like. Armies are constantly trying to accomplish strategic victories. Families are constantly trying to resolve interpersonal drama. Amen? As a family, we're always trying to resolve interpersonal drama. Somebody's had their rights. I, he sat in the front seat last time. I get to sit in the front seat this time. No, we, my, when Jay and Christy were young, they never wanted to go to the same restaurant after church. They never want, they always want to go to a different place. So we'd have a big fight after loving God in the service. We'd have a big fight about where we're going to go eat. I remember one Father's Day. They got in a fight about where we were going to go eat. And it was my day. <laughs> Armies accept the idea of authority, predetermined authority, families. Families always want to negotiate. Armies are intolerant of insubordination. Families are not. We try to be, but we're really not. Armies try to give everyone as much responsibility as they possibly can handle. Families try to give everyone as much freedom as they possibly can handle. I mean, if, if you join the army, they're going to put as much on you as you can handle. They're going to push you to your limits. Because there is, a, there is an enemy on the other side who wants to kill you 
And so you cannot, be, you cannot coddle yourself if you're going to win a war. You can't coddle the people that are fighting with you. You have to be a team. Armies basically are this. Armies are missional and always focused on a goal. Families always try to be happy and achieve emotional balance. I hope you can understand what I'm saying today. Families, if you're in a family, a family is an emotional system. A church family is an emotional system. And, and, and you're constantly trying to find emotional balance. Somebody's not getting enough of whatever. Somebody's not getting this. Somebody's not getting that. Somebody's getting too much, so we've got to address that. That they're getting too much authority. They're getting too much, too much attention. And somebody else is not getting enough attention. And so running a family, you're constantly trying to maintain emotional balance. And it doesn't change when the kids move out of the house. And you, you, would, you would hope that when they move out of the house, that would change. But it doesn't change. It doesn't change. You still have, you still have sibling rivalry. And you still have trying to achieve emotional balance. And who's, you, you know, the, let's see, the kids went to, they went Last year, they went to their house for Christmas first. And so this year, they better come to my house for Christmas first. It's a bunch of, it's a bunch of nonsense, guys. How in the world are you going to win a battle against the devil if you're acting like a bunch of children? How in the world are we going to do the mission that God has called us to do, even in this church? How are we going to do it if the pastor's job is constantly trying to keep emotional balance among you? It can't be done. It can't be done. We have to move metaphors. We have to find a place. Yes, we have to recognize emotional need. We have, to, we have to remain a family. But we also have to have a space in our brains for moving to a place where we say, you know, we're going to have to pay a price. And we're going to have to start marching together. And we're going to have to start moving toward a goal. We're going to have to find out what the will of God is. What the will of God is. Not what my needs are. Not what I would like. Or not I would like the auditorium to look this way or that way. Or I would like for it to be, I would like for it to be darker. I would like for it to be lighter. I would like for there to be no smoke ever. I'd like there to be lots of smoke. We've got to get over that and we've got to decide that we have an enemy who wants to kill still and to destroy and we are the people of God. We are standing between heaven and hell. We're standing between life and death. We've got to become the army of God. Listen, I have no illusions that we're going to do army as well as we do family. I don't think I'm even ready for that. (laughs) But I have no doubt we need to raise our level of, raise our tolerance of discipline, hardship, correction, sacrifice, unified goal setting to a higher level. I know that I know that I know that I know that God is calling us to be bolder, stronger, and less fragile. Here's some ideas that I felt the Holy Spirit dictated to me as I sat with my laptop before me this week. And these sentences answer this question. What is the wisdom and power of being called the army of the Lord? First of all, we have challenges before us that are going to require more discipline and less fragility. We have challenges before us 
that are going to require us to be strong in the Lord. By the Bible says in Ephesians 6, I read it while ago, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We have challenges before us that are going to require everything within us to go forward. I live, I live in awe of the Chinese church. I live in awe of the Chinese Christians who, are, who have undergone such horrible persecution. And the persecution has ramped up in recent days. We're hearing the stories coming out of China that they have shut down the largest underground church in Beijing. And they, they, they literally buried a husband, a pastor and his wife a few been a couple of years ago, uh, as as the military showed up, and and you know what? It, but you know what has happened to the to the to the Chinese church is this has flourished. Probably there are more Chinese Christians than any other group of Christians in the world. Amen. And Americans who go there and attend the underground churches come back embarrassed, embarrassed at the enthusiasm. You know why they don't fight among themselves like we do in the American church? You know why they don't fuss at each other and they got to move from one church to the next because that pastor doesn't do this and that, they've got a better, they, the music's better over there and this is better and, and, and I go there, they let me do what I want to do when I go there and people just move around like a, like a band of spiritual gypsies looking for the best show and looking for, the, looking for what will satisfy their consumer desires. You know why they don't have that? Because they know they're in a war. They know they're in a war. They know this is, this is serious. And this is not about some little, uh, let's have a perfect family situation. But let's do something. This is life or death. And In fact, we had um, a Chinese lady in our home. And uh, she would come, uh, she came to services here a few times. And she, we would go home after service and she would drill me, question me about the services, about the sermons and everything about them. And uh, I went, one morning I came down and she was sitting at the dining room table and she had the action Bible, you know, the, 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 the cartoon Bible. And she was writing notes, reading the action Bible. And uh, I, I, uh, I, uh, I asked her one day, I said, are you ready to receive Jesus as your Savior? She said, no, I've got to study more. And, and the Chinese people are very methodical and they're very intellectual in their approach to things. They're not highly emotional. They're not used to being emotional like Americans. They're, they're not highly emotional in how they make decisions. They've been a, they've been a totalitarian regime for so many years. It, it's, it's changed the way they approach life from the way Americans approach life. And uh, she went, uh, the, the youth were going on a retreat. Uh, and they were going to study the missionary journeys of Paul. And she told me she wanted to go on the retreat. And she went on the retreat. And she came back in the house. And when she came back in the house, uh, uh, after coming from that retreat, she had a big smile on her face. And she said to me, Pastor Phil, I was born again. <laughs> and, and she said, aren't you supposed to do a ritual? And I couldn't, I, I, I was really being brain dead, I, 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 which is a very common problem. But... Uh, <laughs> I went upstairs, Sherry was upstairs, and I said, she wants me to do a ritual. She, oh, Sherry said, she wants you to baptize her. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> and actually, uh, we, we had to leave for a vacation, I believe it was, and uh, Shane Sullivan baptized her. And uh, she, took, she took the Passion of the Christ movie back with her to China. And she, the last we heard, she was having every friend that she had over to her house 
to watch the Passion of the Christ. And she, I don't know totally about her story, but I know that they, when they confess Christ, they lose their standing with the Communist Party, which immediately means, uh, immediately means that they will not be able to get good-paying jobs. It, 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 it affects them immediately. And she was so on fire for the Lord. You know, I don't want that to happen to America. I don't want us to go through persecution, but sometimes I wonder if that's what it's going to take. Is that what it's going to take to get us to move from just trying to find our happy little family to being the army of the Lord? I almost think it's worth it. I'm afraid to say that because I don't know if I really believe that. But I know I heard a Romanian I heard a, a Louis Giglio talk about a Romanian pastor who, the Romanian pastor... Uh, they, they were under such persecution in the Ceausescu regime. And every day, every day he told Louis, he said, when I would leave the house, I would kiss my wife and hold my children close because I knew there was a very good chance I would not come home every day because that, that regime was so totalitarian and, and slaughtering people who didn't, who didn't give all their allegiance to, to the government. And he, he said, uh, you know, as we know, that that... that Thankfully, that regime came to an end, and there's freedom now in Romania. And thank God for that. But, but you know what he said to Louis, Louis Giglio? He said, it's hard now to reproduce the intensity in following Christ that we had when we were being persecuted. Let me ask you, could we... Could we just see if we could do this without having to be persecuted? We are being persecuted to some degree today for our faith. There's, there's something going on. But nothing like that. Nothing like those countries. Could we make a mental shift today and say, you know what? I'm going to become a disciplined believer. Every one of you should be discipling somebody. Every single one of you should have somebody in your life that you are teaching the ways of Christ to. You're teaching them how to pray, how to forgive, how to walk with Christ. This model, this family model, where the pastor's dad and the pastor's wife is mom and the children just come to eat is not enough. It's not unbiblical, but it's just not biblical enough. It's not the whole picture. You are called to be a follower and a soldier of the cross. Every one of you in this room are called to be a soldier of the cross. You say, well, well, when I get my inner healing, you know, I'm going to hang around. And when I, finally, when I finally don't think about my childhood abuse, and I finally don't think of it with horror, and I find, you know, I'm, I'm 50 years old now, but someday I'm not going to have that inner pain. And when that inner pain goes away, then God, I'm just going to be on fire. Well, I... I have compassion for your childhood abuse. It's a terrible thing, terrible thing. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not minimizing what you went through at all, at all, at all. And we will continue to counsel you and we will continue to love you and we will continue to try to help you to heal those memories that are so horrific. But can we wait our whole life to get healed? Do we really have that luxury? Come on now, talk to me. Do we really have that luxury? 
of waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting till there's some magical moment when we don't feel pain over what happened in the past. I just don't think that can happen all the time. I think stuff happens, and we will never, ever feel good about it. In fact, wouldn't that be sicker? Wouldn't that be more unhealthy if you look back at some horrible abuse and thought, oh, it was fine, no problem. No, you're always going to feel that pain. But how about, how about the pain that Jesus went through? How about the abuse that he willingly took? And because, you know what? Because he saw you coming down the road, he doesn't feel any trauma today. He's delighted. Amen? He said, that's my kids. That's my children. It was worth it. (laughs) So we will have challenges before us that require more discipline, less fragility. That was my first point. Let me give you a few other things I felt the Holy Spirit dictated to me. We will have more realistic expectations, which leads to less heartache. Still, when we go around our whole life looking for the perfect church family, and we find Bethany, it happens all the time. People come in, oh, this is the most incredible church I've ever seen. Wow. You're so much better than, I won't call any names, but you will, you will call names, because you do. You go, ah, I came from blank. And they just, man, that pastor is so shallow. You know, I, I just... I, I just got nothing out of the messages. And the music wasn't so good. Here, oh, the preaching is incredible. The music, ah, wow, I've, I think I've just come to heaven. That never lasts. Because you, you, you find out that we're human. And you find out that we don't do everything right. And we make mistakes. And we, we mess up. And we forget to call you back. And... You sign up for something and, and somehow you get lost in the shuffle and we don't call you back to that thing you signed up for and you, you think, boy, I thought, they were, I thought I'd found the church family that God wanted me into. Now I realize he's leading me somewhere else. You know, we got two choices. There are two options, okay? We can become Perfect. We can work on that. What do you think? Or you can grow up. That's the choices. I think the chances of you growing up are better than us becoming perfect. Somebody say amen. Amen. (laughs) I'm not trying to shut anybody down that has their feelings hurt. Believe me, I talk to people every week who have their feelings hurt. And I think they can tell you I try to be kind and generous, and own what I did wrong, and I will try to keep doing that, because I think that's what God wants me to do. But I also know there's a battle to fight. I know that what God wants to do is so much bigger than just make us happy. (laughs) I know that what God wants to do is so in this place is so much bigger than just make us happy. That that wasn't loud enough, man. I, I thought you'd be louder than that. That's like a golf course yell. (laughs) Next thing I want to say is we have less emotional problems when we choose to be less fragile. 
That is an absolute psychological, scientific, psychological fact. In fact, there's a, a book out there. I haven't read, the, the, I've read excerpts, but I'm going to read it by Jonathan Haidt and Greg uh, Lukianoff, I believe it's pronounced. I call The Coddling of the American Mind. And um, I, I want to just read the description of the book because it says a lot. And I've listened to them in interviews. And, and by the way, these aren't, these aren't right-wing conservatives or anything like that. These are academians. And uh, Jonathan Haidt was a psychologist who taught for many, many years at the University of Virginia. Now he's at New York University. And he wrote a, a really good book, which not a Christian. I mean, he's not coming from a Christian perspective, so I don't want to send you down the wrong path. But he did write a good book called The Righteous Mind. And uh, he's trying to figure out how to have morals without God. That's what he's trying to figure out. Uh, good luck, Jonathan. But here's what he says. The Calling of the American Mind is a new book out by Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff. And why safe spaces, trigger warnings, and microaggression hypersensitivity directly harms mental health. Since we have started this practice of teaching our youth that they are fragile and that words can psychologically harm them. We've had a rise in self-harm and suicide by young adults. Did you know that? Scientifically proven. They've had a rise in self-harm and suicide. The generation of now coming of age have been taught three great untruths. Their feelings are always right. They should avoid pain and discomfort. And they should look for faults in others and not themselves. These three great untruths are part of a larger philosophy that sees young people as fragile creatures who must be protected and supervised by adults. But despite the good intentions of the adults who impart them, the great untruths are harming kids by teaching them the opposite of ancient wisdom and the opposite of modern psychological findings on grit, growth, and anti-fragility. The result is rising rates of depression and anxiety along with endless stories of college campuses torn apart by moralistic division and mutual recriminations. Some of that has been in the church of Jesus Christ. So we're paying a price for it. We're also paying a price for punishing people who offer us course correction. When you're in the army, you don't do that. <laughs> we, finally, we actually find the relational stability we crave. Now, here, here's, here, here's the end result. We actually find the relational stability we crave when we view one another as fellow soldiers. That family dream that we have of a tight, close-knit family who, when everybody looks out for one another, actually comes to pass when we begin to see ourselves as the army of the Lord. That's where real camaraderie comes to pass. I'm going to read an excerpt from Sebastian Younger that I really enjoy. He's got one of the greatest TED Talks ever on why military people don't like to come home. And we, we have believed that PTSD is because of what they experienced and what they saw in the military. But Sebastian Younger, who spent 20 years as an embedded reporter in all kinds of war zones, and mostly in Afghanistan has determined in his research, and he's not coming from a Christian perspective necessarily, but from his research that the PTSD is not caused by what they saw because PTSD is being experienced by people who never even saw combat. 
But the PTSD is, is, is caused by coming home to a society that is disconnected and they, they enjoyed being in an environment where everybody had each other's back and where there was discipline. It's an amazing talk. Go watch that TED Talk. It's a great TED Talk. Sebastian Younger, J-U-N-G-E-R. Let me read what he said. Just an excerpt of what he said. He said, I've been covering wars for almost 20 years. And one of the remarkable things for me is how many soldiers find themselves missing it. How is it someone can go through the worst experience imaginable, come back home to their home and their family and their country and miss the war? How does that work? And he tells this story about one of his best friends named Brendan, who, who went through horrible uh, war in, in, in Afghanistan. Uh, they were a part of like 160 soldiers in like a five-mile radius where like 80% of combat occurred in Afghanistan during that period of time. So he saw people, he saw his men killed. Every, almost every man in that group uh, had, had bullet holes in their clothes. That's how close they all came to death. And he talks about Brendan that he invited to a dinner party at his house back in New York. And a lady came up to him and asked him how... Is this question, is there anything at all that you miss about being out in Afghanistan about the war? And he thought about it quite a long time and finally said, ma'am, I miss almost all of it. And he's one of the most traumatized people I've seen from the war. What he missed was connection to the other men he was with. Now, brotherhood is different from friendship or even being biological brothers, See, see, there's a brotherhood that happens when you're an, a, a fellow soldier that doesn't happen when you're biologically connected or when you're just in that uh, idealistic idea of a spiritual family. Brotherhood, and, and those are my comments, by the way. Now, brotherhood is different from friendship, uh, 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 Gunger, Younger says. Now, Friendship happens in society, obviously. The more you like someone, the more you'd be willing to do for them. Brotherhood has nothing to do with how you feel about the other person. Did you, I, want you to, I want you to write that down. Write that down. Because that's what's missing in the American church. Brotherhood has nothing to do with how you feel about the other person. You can answer the question. I'll let you answer what it does have to do with. I think you know. It is a mutual agreement in a group that you will put the welfare of the group, you will put the safety of everyone in the group above your own. That's what we really crave. We really want to be a part of a group that's called to a mission that is so great and so awesome and so mighty that everyone in that group locks arms, no matter, we forget, I'll tell you about, do I like you, do I don't like you, do I like your personality, do you talk too much, you don't talk enough, we totally forget those, those, those trivial, petty things, and we love the great mission that we're called to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take out some of the, I'm not going to go through all my notes because uh, I don't have time. But I want, I want to give you a quote from Tim Keller. Tim Keller said, Faith is not primarily a function of how you feel. Faith is living out and believing what truth is despite what you feel. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. I want to close with this. 
endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So what it can mean to balance the joy? What, what can it mean, I meant to ask? What can it mean to balance the joy of belonging with the power and effectiveness of, of embracing the battle? What would it look like if I set out to include warrior on my resume? Even as I was studying this, I, I checked my Twitter feed quite right quick, and Jack Easterby, that many of you know, preached here a couple times, works with New England Patriots. He said, as a leader, don't make it your aim to make things easier for everyone you lead. That will end in ruin. Lead them to make sure things are right. The hard thing and the right thing are usually the same thing. What does it look like to be a soldier? Well, I'm going to give you some quick things, quick points. It looks like rolling out of bed 30 minutes early to pray and spend time with the Lord. It looks like reading the Bible. It looks like studying your Bible. Because you understand. That's your field manual. It looks like listening to and reading material that challenges you when you drive, when you walk, when you jog, when you work out, or when you do mindless tasks. You're filling your mind with great stuff that causes you to grow intellectually and spiritually. It means replacing your junk values with eternal values. It means... Showing up to community group. When other people need you to show up, even when you don't need to show up. It means stepping up and filling in a role that you're called to fill. It, it looks like obedience to God when you can't see, you obey God when you can't see how it could possibly work. It looks like getting under spiritual authority and knowing who your spiritual authority is. It looks like letting go of old pain. It looks like sacrificing willingly. It looks like giving cheerfully. It looks like always having someone you're discipling. Everyone, as I said earlier, should be discipling one other person at all times. It looks like loyalty instead of abandonment when things don't go your way. It looks like volunteering more than anything else. It looks like relentlessly pursuing people to bring them to, into a relationship with God through Christ. And bringing those people who are in relationship with God to a better relationship with God. You are on mission. For goodness sake, it looks like getting over yourself and acting like we have a battle to fight that we can only win if we become united. <laughs> 30 in a few, in a little while. 30 NFL teams will take the field and they're going to show up with a military mentality. We're going to see, if you watch those games, you're going to see 11 men on the field at a time. 22 if you count both teams. But 11 men on the offensive side who have one goal. Every one of them want to get the ball across the goal line. They do not care who does it. They are all trying to do the same thing. They're not all saying, give me the ball. They're saying, I don't care what it takes. We've got to get the ball across the goal line. And they are all caring about the guy who's playing next to them. Contrast that with the average gathering of Christians. The average gathering of Christians, there's a hundred different agendas in the room. There's a hundred different agendas. There's a hundred different things that we want. 
And what would, we, would happen? What could we do if everybody said, next Sunday I'm bringing somebody to church with me because we got to get the ball across the goal? What would happen if everybody said, I'm going to lead someone to Jesus Christ this week because we got to get the ball across the goal? What would happen if we became sold out? What would happen if we became committed? What would happen to the church? What would happen to us if we didn't have a hundred agendas in this room, but we had one? What would happen? Listen to me, church. What would happen if we didn't have 150 different agendas with 150 people wanting something different, wanting something personal? And there's not anything wrong with wanting something personal. You don't have to stop wanting something personal. But what if every one of you in this room decided, yes, I'll take my personal thing and I'll put it in a box for a while and I'm going to decide there's one goal, there's one thing that Jesus died for and that's the thing that the church and me are going to be about. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. Do you believe that? I want you to, I'm going to say a short prayer. It's a little later than I, I like to get done usually. But I don't think, uh, I don't, th- uh, I don't think com- sergeants in the military apologize, do they? They don't go, oh, I worked you guys a little too hard today. I'm sorry. Oh, we went in too long. We had a few too many push-ups. I'm really so sorry that I hurt your feelings. No. So I need, I'm not going to apologize anymore either, okay? How about that? <laughs> I'm going to pray. And I, I, I want you just to, to listen. If God is speaking to you, get down here and let these guys pray with you. And say, God spoke to me today. And I'm going to move my life. I'm going to add to my my metaphor of life being a soldier of Jesus Christ. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're being called. Let us obey the call and let us follow it. And I know there's plenty of people in this room who are doing it already. And they're to be encouraged today. They're to be encouraged to know that they're going to have some fellow soldiers after this day is over. After this service is over, there's going to be some people that are going to come alongside them and fight with them and fight for them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's come. Let's pray. Let's enter in to response time.